There we go. Okay, hey, morning everybody. It's good to be here. If I haven't met you, I'm Jonathan Hupp, and I get to be a pastor here. And I'm excited. This has just been so good already. And we're continuing our series, our theme this year of the impossible life. Looking at how the life God calls us into is not just difficult, but actually impossible. And that's pretty cool, actually, when you realize, because it's, it's what he wants to bring us into, and we can't do by ourselves. And sometimes, if you think about all the stories you've, you've heard, there's a certain category of story that there are times when the, the circumstances and events of someone's birth is so unique that it points to there's going to be something really unique about their life. This is what's known as an origin story. You've got to love a good origin story. That, you know, it, it could be, and there, there are tons of these. Sometimes it's not only their birth, but coming into a new identity. That would be like a lot of the superheroes, like Spider-Man or Wonder Woman, or what I get all my, I don't know my superheroes that well, but there's, a, there's this, this new origin, Wolverine. There's this, this new beginning. And one of my favorites, you can look at Romulus and Remus, or the founding of Rome. I mean, there are all these really good origin stories out there. Uh, one of my favorites is, our, we've read to our kids this series of books called The Mismantle Chronicles. And they're not very well known, but it's these, these, this uh, island, Mismantle, that has squirrels and uh, what else? Otters. Otters and hedgehogs <laughs> and what was the last one? Moles, yes. Man, how could I forget? As you can tell, they're very affectionate in our family. <laughs> and the, kind of the center of these stories is Urchin, Urchin and Mismantle. And in the first book, it starts out, it's a night of shooting stars, and that's a night in the kingdom of Mismantle where every so often there are times where there's a, a bunch of shooting stars in the, in the skies and all the animals come out and stay up all night and watch these stars because it's really beautiful, but also it's a sign that something momentous is going to happen, either for good or for evil. And on one of these nights, lo and behold, a young, pale-skinned squirrel shows up wet on the beach. And... It's like, where did the squirrel come from? It's just born. There's no parents here. Different color. Where, what's, there's something about this squirrel. And the squirrel becomes urchin. And you know that because of his unique origin, there is a unique purpose for his life. One of my, one of my other favorites, I could, I, I could talk about a lot of these, but I'm just going to stick with two. My, my niece, Lael, has a cool origin story. Because my brother, Paul, had had three children, and they were thinking about, they were planning to adopt a fourth, and so they said, enough is enough, and he got a vasectomy. And then nine months later, Paul's wife got pregnant. Nine months after the vasectomy. And so these are the things that, like, put marriages into crises. <laughs> like, okay, wait, what happened here? And, but this little, little spermazoa just was, like, <laughs> holding on. Like, I know, I've got to bring some life into the world. There's a person I've got to bring into the world. And it, like, held on for nine months, and Lael was conceived. And we know, like, if you meet Lael, you're like, okay, there's a purpose for Lael's life, for sure. Now, that, what's wild about that is the Bible has a lot of, a lot of great origin stories. A lot of characters in the Bible have, have cool stories about their birth. But really, when we're talking about an impossible life, the reality is, is that every one of us is called to an impossible life. And there's no impossible life without an impossible origin story. 
That's not just something for a movie or a book, but to be launched into this life that God intends for you, there is a birthing process that is of God that is impossible and remarkable. And you can't like come into this life without having the impossible origin story to start off with. Now, for some of you, this is going to be a good reminder of like, oh, yeah, I do have that. I do have that impossible origin story. And that's good for me to remember it. And, man, I should be ready to share that. Others of you, it's going to be like, you know, I'm not sure that I have that origin story. And if that's you, that's an op- this is an opportunity for God to get, show you the essential pieces to come into that. And so we're going to look at a conversation, a famous conversation that Jesus has where he lays out the need for this impossible origin story, the need for a spiritual rebirth. And he lays out the need for that, and he also lays out the essential elements of that. If you, uh, some of you may have guessed, but we're going to be looking at the story in John chapter 3 of Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, the religious leader of the Jews. And this is a, so the most, probably the most famous verse in the Bible is in this chapter, so we're going to read that. Um, but to set it up, we're going to start a little bit earlier in chapter 2. Let's slide this up a little bit. Um, in chapter 2, this is the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And he had, in the beginning of chapter 2, he comes on the scene, he does his first sign, his first miraculous sign, which is at a wedding. He turns water into wine. So, man, party on. I mean, this is a great, like, Jesus is, is bringing new life and joy and miraculous things into the world. And then right after that, the next thing that happens that's recorded is he goes to the temple in Jerusalem. It's the Passover celebration, this biggest annual celebration of the Jews. And he goes into the temple, and he actually doesn't do what you'd expect, but he turns things upside down. He's upset because the temple is where it's supposed to be the center of the worship of God, but they've turned it into a place of commerce and greed, and they're buying and selling, and the religious leaders are profiting off of it. And it's not a place of worship and prayer. And so Jesus premeditated, this is pretty cool, but he makes a whip and he like goes in and just like drives out the sellers and the money lenders and turns over tables. Meek, mild Jesus. Not the, not, you know, here he goes. And he's upsetting things. And I, I think this is just setting it up because we see that Jesus is one who, he brings new life. You know, the water to wine, it's, he brings new life into the world. But he also upsets the way things are. He upsets old habits. He upsets old systems. He, ups, he upsets religiosity. He upsets the power structures, both in society and in us. And the impossible life, it, it, it has to do both of those things together. And so we pick up in verse 18, right after that. It says, so the Jews, and that's kind of short, shorthand for the Jewish religious leaders. They were the, the rulers of the Jews. The Jewish religious leaders said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? (laughs) You're messing things up here. What's what's the sign that you you have the right to do this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead... His disciples remember that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. 
<clears throat> so Jesus is challenging the status quo. He's pointing to the, the impossibility of what he's bringing about. He's saying, hey, here's a sign. Destroy this temple, and I'll build it up, raise it up in three days. Like, that's impossible. But not only was that impossible, but he was actually alluding to or pointing to the real temple where the presence of God was, was, was himself. And he was saying, hey, destroy this, and in three days it's going to be raised up. And that is just the foundation of all this, is that what brings us into this impossible life is not us trying hard or being religious or having a better week than last week, but it's the death and resurrection of Jesus and us being linked with him that brings us into that. And so uh, <clears throat> that we see that, that that's going on. Now in verse 23, we'll just keep reading here. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. He's doing other miracles, other signs too, and people are like, wow, okay, I'm believing in this man. They were, they were putting their trust that he was the Messiah. But, this is very interesting, Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So, Jesus is, is bringing this impossible life but he's also realizing that there are things in our hearts that stand in the way of his impossible life fully being realized in our lives, in the world. And the thing that keeps that from happening is the man. What I'm just going to affectionately call the man. The man. All right, the man. The man is the problem here. All right, it's, it's, you can think of the man, you know, as like, you know, the government or the powers that be, and that is true, and we see that here, like you see the man in the religious systems, like the man was resisting the work of God. But the man is not only external, but the man is internal. The man is in us. And so here, there were these people that were, you know, they were wanting, they were believing, but Jesus even knew that like their, their level of belief was not enough that he could entrust himself to them. Because there was enough of the man in them. Enough of their self-centeredness and their greed and their ambition and their stuff, their habits and their addictions and whatever it was. That he couldn't entrust himself. That would, and that would keep them from the impossible life that, that he had for them. So he didn't entrust himself to man for he knew what was in a man. And then chapter 3. Now there was a man, there's a man, the man, the man is in this man, as in all men. There was a man of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were, the, were a very strict religious group um, among the Jewish religious teachers. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And so here Nicodemus is really a picture of the man, a man, the man. He's... It comes right after the same language. Jesus didn't entrust himself to a man, and here is a man who comes. <clears throat> and he's a ruler, which represents, you know, is also, we're all called to be rulers, but the rulers of this age and the rulers of us set themselves up against what Jesus is wanting to do in bringing this impossible life about. So um, there's this man. He, he was, you, for all thoughts and purposes, this man was on the right team. 
You know, that, that people would have said, yeah, he's, he should be on, he's a guy, he's on the right team. He's a, he's a religious leader, part of the Sanhedrin, the council, political religious leaders of our, of our nation. He's, he's a Pharisee. He's, he's on the right team. But we're going to see here that although that was true externally, that was not true yet internally. The impossible life had not begun yet for Nicodemus. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So we see that Nicodemus is coming at night. It's probably because it's, it's kind of in secret. He doesn't want to be seen with Jesus asking these questions in the day. Um, but also, he's speaking not just for himself, but for his team. He's speaking for the Sanhedrin, for the Jewish religious council. He said, we know, it's not just singular, I know, but we know, that there's something, you know, you've got to be from God. And so we see that, like, he's, that basically, this is the, the first point I want to make about the impossible life origin story, is that the impossible life origin story unsettles the man in us. The impossible life unsettles the man. Jesus is like, Nicodemus is like, okay, like, what's going on here? We, you're bringing something that's different, and it's challenging the status quo. It's challenging where we're at right now. And so the impossible life always does that to our, to our status quo. It does that to where, where, wherever we are, wherever we start. It comes in, and, and it, it, it challenges that. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. This is a verse that's become well known now. That you must be born again. But if you think about this setting, how it's happening, here, Jesus is saying, it's, he's not saying his the, the purpose of being born again is to see the kingdom of God. And that would have been very weird because Nicodemus was, would have been, well, I'm in the kingdom of God. This Israel is the kingdom of God. And I'm a leader in the kingdom of God. And so, I, what are you saying I can't see? Like, what, like it's, all, it's right here. I know the kingdom of God. We've got hundreds of years of history here of God bringing his kingdom. And, but you're saying, like, that there's something missing. You're saying that I, I'm not seeing something here. And so, again, this, the, we, to come into this impossible life, we have to first see, like, like Rick talked about last week, faith in God is also disbelief in the things that we've been trusting in. For Nicodemus, it was, it, you know, it was his, his status and his religious learning and his position. For you know, Gideon and his people, it was the, the false idols. For us, it may be our religion or our habits or our accomplishments or whatever it is, but we have to disbelieve that. To, that has to be unsettled for us to come into the greater life that God has for us. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? This is impossible. This is an impossible life. This the thing you're talking about. Like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. How, how does this happen? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water 
and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Take a minute and look at that verse. Unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. What's Jesus saying here? What would Nicodemus have heard to that? Heard when he heard that. Well, first of all, it was like, well, you're saying I'm not in this kingdom. And he would have been, I thought I was in this kingdom. I'm a citizen of Israel. I'm a leader of Israel. But you're saying that there's a kingdom and I'm not in it. This is saying that there are two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of darkness and there's a kingdom of light. And you're either in it or you're not. There's no middle ground. There's, you're either in the kingdom or you're not. And, the only, and nobody starts out in this kingdom of God. Nobody, you've got to enter it. You don't just, you're not born into it. I, I got to tell you this. This just, don't, if this has been you, I'm not mad at you. I've done it myself. But I've started to get really uptight whenever I hear someone giving a testimony and it starts out with, I was born in a Christian family. Because a lot of times, I'm like, are they going to have a real testimony about how they entered the kingdom of God? Is it gonna, or is it going to be like, hey, I hear too often, like, oh, I just, like, I grew up around this, and so I'm a Christian. There was an editorial in the paper yesterday, the guy was like, well, I'm a Christian because I believe there's goodness in all of us. Like, that, that's not entering the kingdom. There has to be a, dis- there, and so the second point here is that the impossible life origin story has a distinct beginning. There is a time when this life begins. There is a time when it was not, and there was a time when it started. It has a distinct beginning. I, I grew up in a Christian family. I'm so thankful for that. But that is, that being a, growing up in a Christian family, I, I heard this growing up, is growing, being a, Growing up, being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. <laughs> okay, it just, that's, it, that doesn't work like that. It's, there has to be something that happened. Also, another thing I heard growing up is God has no grandchildren. It's profound. I asked Amzie, my 12-year-old, that last night, like, does God have grandkids? She's like, yeah. I was like, are you God's grandchild? Yeah. Are you his, I thought you were his daughter. She's like, oh, yeah. Wait, how's... <laughs> So, it's like, God doesn't have grandkids. You've got to become a son or a daughter of God. It's, it doesn't happen. It has to be a personal thing where you enter the kingdom of God yourself. And so, I'm so thankful that, like, and so that, that there was, that I had a time, that, that thankfully, through my parents, that they explained the gospel and said, Jesus, you're a sinner, and you deserve to go to hell, and you will go to hell if you die right now. But Jesus died for your sins, and if you put your trust in him, then he will forgive you of your sins and transfer you into his kingdom. And I understood that, and I prayed, and I put my faith in Jesus, and I was transferred. I began to be transferred into this kingdom. Then I was baptized in water a few years after that. And that's what Jesus is saying. Like, you must be, that's, it's all together. You've got to believe in Jesus. We've got to be born of water and the Spirit. This Historically, this has always been understood. Being born of water means being baptized in water. But there is something that happens of leaving this old life and coming into the new kingdom when we say, yes, Jesus is my king and I believe in him. And now I am taking the step of obedience and the step of faith 
and renouncing my old life and renouncing my sin and renouncing my drugs and renouncing my perfectionism and whatever it is. And I'm saying, Jesus is my Lord. I'm going under the water and identifying with Christ. My old life is dying. And I'm coming up as a new person through the resurrection of Jesus. You must be born of water and the Spirit to enter the kingdom of heaven, enter the kingdom of God. There's no other way. You've got to believe. You've got to be, be baptized. And you've got to be born of the Spirit. And we're actually, next week, our friend John Griffith is coming. He's going to spend a whole Sunday talking about that. So I'm going to not hit on it too much. But you also have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to fully enter the kingdom of God, to be born again, to live this impossible life. Like you can't, it has to have these things happen. We have to be, we have to believe in Jesus. We have to be baptized. And we have to receive the filling and the empowering of God's Spirit in our life. And I, for me, that was, I got baptized at age seven. And I wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that I knew that I knew that I knew that that had happened until I was 18. So that was 11 years. Where now I would be like, you know what? I don't think I was born again the way Jesus is talking about it. Like, would I have gone to heaven if I died? That's not even the question here, really. I would, had not had the beginning of this impossible life that Jesus intended for me. Because I had not received the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. I know that you know, I lived in those years, like there were good things that God was doing, but there was this nagging question of like, do I have, like, am I, am, am I, am I saved? Have I become a believer? Have I become a Christian? There was just this, this uncertainty, and I lived with a lot of, a lot of, um, of, of fear. Uh, I remember early on when I first saw my need for Jesus, and I, you know, really the song, the, the words of Amazing Grace are so like the testimony that we all have to have, that I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now can see. I was lost, and now I'm found. Like that, I realized, like, wow, I've got a sin in my life. I've got an anger problem that I cannot control. And I brought that to the Lord and confessed it, repented of it, and asked him to change me, and he changed me. And, but then I, there was this... There was, and he began to work in my life. It, I, but it, the, the fear of my life was so, was so powerful. And the, the, the identity of just being a quiet person was so dominant in my life. Like I was so afraid and so quiet, so timid. And when I, at age 18, and prayed to ask God to fill me with the Holy Spirit and experience spiritual gifts, I started praying in tongues and experienced just the sense of God's presence in me like I'd never experienced it before. It was like all those doubts, like immediately that day were gone. Like all those doubts about, like, am I fully in? I, they were gone. And people would try to talk me out of like, oh, you shouldn't have those doubts because you should just like know that, that you're in. But actually I think there was a reason I had those doubts because I wasn't fully come in to this new fullness of the born again experience that Jesus had for me. So there's a distinct beginning. And sometimes for us, like it takes a while. But God wants us to fully come into that power of that, that, that experience of being born again. <clears throat> okay. Talked a long time about that verse. But there's a lot there. Verse 5, verse 6. How'd that page turn? Verse 6, Jesus said, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. 
Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. I, it's really interesting to me that Nicodemus had used the, the we, like we know, speaking of his side, and Jesus says, we speak. You're like, are you? Like, who else is talking here? This is the, apparently the royal we. But Jesus is speaking of not only himself, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit with him, and God the Father. And I think he's probably also talking about his true disciples. Saying that we speak, like we are the side of those who are in the kingdom of God, who have come into this impossible life. We are able to speak of what we have experienced. We are able to speak of what we know, that we know that we know. Because God has given us an origin story. God has done something in us to bring us into this impossible life. We speak of what we know. We bear testimony of what we've seen. You don't receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, <clears throat> so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so Jesus references there was a situation that had happened it's in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament that when the people of Israel were coming out of, the, out of slavery, out of Egypt, and coming through the wilderness into the promised land, they had stopped trusting God and were complaining, and uh, there was a lot of immorality, a lot of sexual immorality, another immorality in their camp. And God sent these snakes, these poisonous snakes, into the camp, and they were biting people, and they were dying by the droves. And they cried out to God, and God told Moses, who was the leader, hey, make a, a statue of a snake out of bronze and put it up on this pole. And whoever looks to that snake up, lifted up on the pole, he will be healed. She will be healed. And so people did it. People who looked to that, they were healed, and the plague stopped. And that was really foreshadowing how Jesus became sin. He took our sin on the cross. And when we look to him, our sin is transferred away from us and onto him. So Jesus says, hey, the Son of Man, you've got to look to him in that same way for him to take your sin and, and have it removed and placed upon him. For God so loved the world, here it is, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, have the impossible life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So there's a lot in here about belief. God so loved the world that he gave us something. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, have the impossible life. It's... Um, it's 
an essential part of this impossible life. It's an essential part of having our own origin story, is having faith in Jesus. But it's not just any belief, because we see before, like there were people who believed in Jesus, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't obviously full. Jesus didn't entrust himself to them, because he saw, like, well, their hearts are still not really there. And so I believe Jesus here is he's, he's laying out the kind of belief that brings you into this kind of life. And it's an it's a, it's a all-out sort of belief. It's, he's, remember, he's talking, to, he's talking a lot about here about coming out of the darkness and into the light. And you remember the context of the story, he's talking to Nicodemus, who's come to him at night, who's drawn to Jesus, who sees that, yeah, you're from God, but I want to still like, come to you and like, not upset my relationships, not upset my position. I don't want to, I want to hold on to some of this stuff. I want to still do this in the dark. And Jesus says, hey, if you really believe in me, you're going to come out of the dark and come into the light so that your life can be a life that's fully brought about by God. That, that impossible life can be your life. That I will do things in your life that only I could do, that people will look at you and go like, wow, that's a God thing. That's a God thing. But the only way that happens is by coming out of the dark and coming in and placing real faith. A good, a good term that we've, that, that for this kind of faith is believing loyalty. The impossible life origin story requires believing loyalty. It's faith in God, faith in Jesus, that's a kind of faith that involves loyalty. To Jesus as well. That, hey, I'm going to be counted as, as your son. I'm going to be counted as your daughter. I'm going to be, whatever the cost, I'm going to be counted for you. And some of the people I respect the most in the last couple of years are people that have, um, have risked things for their convictions. Now, Brendan, this week, he told me, told me a story, he ran into a guy that he knew from middle school. He was in med school. And he was at KU Med, and, they, and he didn't believe that the COVID vaccination was something that he should, that was a good idea for him to take. He didn't believe the official storyline about what it was and that everyone should take it. And he had a conviction that he shouldn't take it. And he got kicked out of med school because he refused to get vaccinated. I'm like, wow, that guy's, I respect. You know, I know other people that like left their jobs for that same reason. And that's, this isn't about COVID vaccination today, but it's like, man, that sort of believing loyalty is the kind of thing that it takes to follow Jesus. It's a, it's a coming into a alignment with him and leaving other things behind. And so, Having an origin story, it's what God has for us, but it takes that kind of believing loyalty. So that's what it comes back down to. And so every, we'll come back to where we started, started this, this, this theme. Every impossible life has an impossible origin story. Every impossible life. Why are you, so like, why are you like yelling at me about entering the kingdom and all this stuff? Like, I why are you so passionate about this? Well, it's because I want you to have an impossible life. 
It's because I want to, because I'm, I'm like, I don't, I'm not okay with like status quo Christianity. I'm not okay with like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but it like hasn't really transformed my life and it's not really transforming the culture. I'm tired of living in a, in a nation where there's like a Christianity that hasn't produced the results that it really should. And so much of that is because people don't have the right beginning. Like they haven't actually entered the kingdom the right way. And so there's this like halfway or fake sort of Christian experience. And, like, God wants to give us an impossible life. But to have an impossible life, it requires an impossible life origin story. So, where's that with you? I just want to just bring home these questions for us. Has Jesus unsettled the man in your life? Is Jesus unsettling the man in your life? Because he, he does that. He unsettles, he unsettles the man when we first start. And then he keeps unsettling for the rest of this walk. He, you know, like, it could be like the fear and intimidation, pride. It can be like substance dependency. It can be the fear of man. It can be our position. But has Jesus unsettled the man in your life? Like, can you be able to know, like, well, that's the man for me. That's my the man. Okay, that's, I, know, I know what the man looks like for me. And so, okay, has Jesus unsettled the man? And is he unsettling the man for you? Is there anywhere where you're letting the man maintain his grip in your life? If so, man, let, Jesus un, let, let go of that. Give that to Jesus and turn that over to him. Do you have an origin story with a distinct beginning? Can you go like, yeah, that's when I left the kingdom of darkness and entered the kingdom of light. I was lost, now I'm found. I, when, was the, when did that happen? When did I repent of my sins? When did I trust in Jesus? When did I get baptized? When did I get empowered by the Holy Spirit? Okay, man, that's, 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 that's the distinct beginning that I need to know and other people need to know. And does Jesus have my believing loyalty? Have I come out of the dark? Have I given him access to every, every area? My body, my time, my money, my life. And that's, that's what he has for us. I, what's, one thing I love about this story is that it seems like Nicodemus did. Because a few chapters later, we see that the Sanhedrin are talking about Jesus, and they're, they're, ta- they're scheming, and they're, they're like planning their resistance. And Nicodemus speaks up. And he stands with Jesus in that situation. And then when Jesus, in, in John 19, when, after Jesus is, is crucified, Nicodemus <coughs> sides with Jesus, and he, takes, and he takes 100 pounds of expensive spices and goes and anoints his body for, with, as, as part of the burial process. And he's like, it seems like he's come out from the shadows and come into the light. And, man, that's, that's the way to live. Um, every impossible life has its own impossible origin story. You know, God wants us to have that story, and he wants us to tell that story. And really, at the Found People, Found, Find People class, like, that's a lot of what we're talking about, is like, okay, what's my testimony? Like, what was my life like before Christ? How did I meet him? And how has he changed me? That's like the story that God has for us. And that is like, being a follower of Jesus involves having that story and then telling that story. 
And that's really like what we are. We're probably, if you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's probably because someone else told, told their story to you and helped you have that story yourself. And that's what he then commissions us to do in our own life. So, man, that's really, you know, what we're about. We're about it being a community where everyone, you know, imagine, just like, imagine, imagine a group of 100 people in Manhattan that are part of the same church that all have an impossible life origin story. Imagine them, like, going into their week and sharing that story with people around them. Man, that's, that's who we are. That's who God has made us to be. And so if you, um, if you don't have an origin story, get one. If you've got one, share it. Tell it. Because that's, that's the exciting thing about how God brings other people into this impossible life, too. So I want to pray for us. I just want to ask before I do that, does anyone have any questions about anything that I said? Anything like, wow, that was kind of out there, or I don't know about that. Um, I'll do my best to try to answer. But any questions? It's my excuse to do a Michael and get a glass of water here. Drink the water. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think next week we'll go into that more. Okay. So, uh, but I really think that there's a pattern here in John 3 and then throughout Scripture and definitely very clearly in Acts where you see how this is played out of a belief in Jesus repentance from our old life, from the man, and believe in Jesus. And at that point, the Spirit comes in, inside of us. Mm-hmm. And then, but immediately, the normal, like the ideal pattern really is repent and, and be baptized. Like people then are quickly baptized at the beginning of your walk with Jesus um, as part of that process. And then, I believe what Jesus is pointing to is there's, there's a, another dimension of the fullness of the Holy Spirit coming into our life that is not only what we receive when we turn from our sins and ask Jesus to, to come inside of us, but it's an empowering and a filling where the Holy Spirit baptizes us with his power. And that's what the disciples in the early Acts were waiting for. Like they, They'd received the Holy Spirit. Jesus had breathed on them. They'd received it. But he said, wait for the promise from my Father to come upon you. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them with power. There were miraculous spiritual gifts that happened, and then they were empowered to go be his witnesses out in the world. And so I think the normal, like, it can happen different orders, but the, like, the normal way, the most common way it happens and is, is repentance and faith, water baptism, filled with the Holy Spirit in that way. So I think that's why Jesus lays it out that way. Yeah. Great question. Good. Any other questions? Um, why do you think that it's like, yeah, Jesus does that and fills you with the Holy Spirit and empowers you? I mean, I'm sure it does happen sometimes. Uh huh. So why do you think Jesus does that? Like, Jesus is like, I'm already happy or asking to do 
Right. Yeah. Well, I would say some of it is because not so much the way it's, I think we've, we've applied it incorrectly so much. We've separated these things so much, which is different than the way you normally see it in the pattern in the Bible, where it was designed to be like, you can get all this whole origin story package right together. <coughs> so I, that, and that's, so it is like a, a, a elements of it, but it doesn't need to be like my story, like two years later and then 11 years later. You know, it, it can be like, hey, I believe and I'm getting baptized and right away, Lord, baptize me with the Holy Spirit and I'm understanding you're my Lord and I need your power and I'm hungry for it and bam, you're blasted in the kingdom like that. And I think honestly, like it's on us to do a better job of leading people into the kingdom like that. Um, <clears throat> so that's the main, my main, main thoughts about that. Um, I do think there are aspects though of like, I don't know, I think like the third, there are things you have to wrestle through to get to each of those places. And so, like it doesn't have to take years, but it has to happen. And so you have to have enough being sick and tired of your sin. You have to have enough like willingness to identify with Jesus to get baptized publicly. You have to be hungry enough with Jesus to wait for him and pray and say, Lord, fill me and like be hungry for that to happen. So that, that has to happen internally, however long it takes. Is that, is that? Okay. Cool. Any more? Those are good questions. Well, I'm, um, I feel like I, I hope I, I'm, I'm passionate. I'm not mad. <laughs> I, feel, I don't know. If, I hope that's coming across. But, okay, I, I'm passionate about this. I love this. I, this is like, because I, I, I'm mad at the devil, and I'm like mad at, at half-blank Christianity. I'm mad at, like, I'm, I'm mad at the, the fake way of living this out that is not the full and possible life that we're made to live in. And I, like, I'm, I'm tired of it being, like, so much religiosity propping that up. Like, there's so much in our culture. Like, so many people will, like, give you theological reasons for why we don't need that full and possible origin story. And, I, frankly, I think that's from the wrong side. Like, that doesn't help the cause of Christ. That doesn't help the kingdom of God. And so, but I'm passionate about it because it's, it's what God has for us. I mean, it's exciting, and it's, it's the only, it's miserable to try to live a life without the full package and without the empowerment of God. And it's, man, it's... It's great to live an impossible life. So, um, let's, I, I'm going to ask someone else to pray. Brendan, you come up here and pray for us. <clears throat> Where's that mic? Yeah, just pray for us and send us out. Yeah. All right? Yeah. Uh, man, God, we just thank you so much for this, this message. It's true that... Um, the, the impossible life has a, a distinct beginning, God. And so we just pray right now that for anyone here, Lord, who has not had a distinct beginning to their impossible life, God, that you would make that clear to them. Lord, would you reveal yourself to them in this way? Um, God, we just stand united, God, that there is going to be transformation this week in people's lives in this room. 
Lord, we believe that you have so much more um, for our lives than just waking up, going to work, and, and just letting the days go by, God. But we believe you have an impossible life for us. So, Father, we thank you for that, Lord. We ask, God, that there would be testimonies this week, God, of people who um, are living out an impossible life, Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Have a great uh, week and go Chiefs.